Tom Jacobs from tdjacobs.com, tdjacobs.com, if you like uh, spelling. Uh, that's the only spelling I'm going to do uh, during this uh, audio piece today. Um, I have recently been uh, taken in by a podcast. I, I was definitely really into um, Serial, which took... America's Hearts and Imaginations by Storm. Um, I was really into Serial, um, and, I, and I actually looked at the charts of Adnan Syed, and, and then the um, the next year, the I guess Bo Bergdahl was the, the subject of the second one. I looked at their charts, and there's some little stories in there. But um, the people who brought you Serial are now doing this other one called um, Shit Town. Or if it shows up in your podcast uh, application, it'll be S-Town. And um, I ended up listening to it, a lot of it while I was um, uh, driving back to Tucson from a, um, from a psychic fair in Sedona a few days ago. And so I, I actually looked up uh, the chart of the, the person, uh, this John McLemore, who's, who's discussed. He's, he's in the first few episodes, and he's discussed later. Um, this is spoiler alert time, so if you haven't listened to it and want to, come back to this MP3 later. That's your warning here at a minute and a half in. Um, so I pulled up his chart, and uh, I'll tell you his birth data. Uh, March 15th, 1966. Unknown time, we don't have a time, in Woodstock, Alabama. Um, apparently when he was born, Woodstock wasn't incorporated, so it might be actually in the area, but it's there. Uh, it's there, I just picked that time. And as far as uh, not using a birth time... I encourage you to not use a birth time. Draw up a chart without a birth time. Don't do 6 a you know 6 a.m. 12 noon hypothetical because it it adds in houses and that can confuse your brain wanting to interpret something in a house or trying not to interpret something in a house and therefore holding yourself back from seeing what's actually there. So what I do is I go to astro.com and I drop a free chart, and I just put nothing. It, it, it picks 12 noon as a hypothetical, and that way you can see, for example, the moon placement. And, and moon moves, you know, I don't know, 10, 11 degrees a day, whatever. Um, you can see where the moon is at noon. So you can figure, right, if you were born in the morning, it would be earlier, an earlier degree, etc. You know, if you were born later, blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't give you houses, and it always puts the Aries point at the left, where we typically see the ascendant in a birth chart. So anyway, um, I encourage you to do that and get used to looking at charts without lines in the middle if there's no birth time. Um, like I said, I think you can just trip us up a little sometimes. Um, people show me all the time a chart they don't have a time for, and they pick 6 a.m. Or, or sunrise, hypothetically, the sun's on the ascendant. And it just it doesn't make any sense. It's like it, my, my brain shuts down. I can't even really function of the chart. So anyway, so that's just my little my little bias on what I teach people. So what I did was I pulled up a transits for uh, June 21st, 2015, uh, which is when he killed himself. And there's a lot of talk in the last couple of episodes, last few episodes, about why he killed himself. Um... Uh, yeah, I'm off the hook as far as spoiler alert. So at the beginning of episode three, it it's announced that he has killed himself. So he's uh, directly involved in episodes one and two. 
Um, and the idea with this podcast, if you haven't heard it, is that he wrote, I guess, This American Life. He wrote the producers or wrote the info line or, you know, the the, the generic email and said, um, you know, I live in this I live in this terrible place and all this, you know, subterfuge and this terrible stuff is happening and there's a murder that's not being prosecuted and investigated appropriately because, you know, whatever, the people are getting away with it and everyone's complicit and it's terrible and hence shit down. He called the place shit town. So uh, that's the premise of it is that this producer um, from these shows or whatever, he ends up having this dialogue and emails and phone calls and eventually he goes down there and interviews him. And um, anyway, this whole story develops. Well, after they did the, you know, after a certain time, this, this guy, John McLemore, killed himself. So then, you know, the producer is affected because he's developed, you know, I guess maybe over about a year at that point, he's developed a relationship and he's been down there several times and met the guy, you know, met the guy's friends and people in his life and whatever. So, so anyway, it becomes a seven part podcast. Um, and a lot of the time they're talking about why he would kill himself. And he talks to friends and he talks to acquaintances and people who, hadn't talked to him in several years and kind of understood him emotionally, etc. There's this whole kind of story in there. So I wanted to do this to give, if you're interested in that podcast and you're interested in how I do karmic astrology uh, and also some other archetypes are going to come in here that don't necessarily have to do with his karmic story, but, um, but I just felt like getting it off my chest. And so you're getting this instead of my girlfriend getting some like two hour explication about how much I enjoy the podcast and how it really affected me, <laughs> whatever. I didn't cry or anything, but it's like, um, but I was kind of like feeling it. Anyway, so we'll get into that. So when I do these um, karmic analyses, I always start, oh, by the way, uh, starting April 22nd, which is a little over two weeks from now, today's April 5th, I'm doing a six-week intro to evolutionary astrology, or it's called on my site, Evolutionary Astrology Basics. And we're going to introduce Pluto, the nodes of the moon, what soul is about, the south node ruler, and how to understand these karmic elements in a chart, and how to understand karma. The soul, its multi-life journey, karma, all the stuff in the chart. So, um, six-week course via the web, Saturday mornings. So I encourage you to check that out at tdjacobs.com. And there are a couple spots still left open. Uh, you can sign up to get the MP3s and all the materials later if you can't make the course. I have one person doing that. But I highly encourage you to you know make the course if you can. Um, anyway, be in touch if you have questions. Uh, email tom at tdjacobs.com. So when I start these uh, karmic analyses, I always start with Pluto. If you've read The Soul's Journey, Volume 1, it starts with the South Node, and I've just re reorganized that. So you can, in your mind, edit that four-step process to begin with Pluto. And the reason is, um, when I look at Pluto, I talk about the deepest soul's wounding, the, the deepest passion that the person has, the thing that the person has to do to make life worth living, but also it carries a cache of karmic garbage, because in a bunch of lives, it hasn't worked well. We felt disempowered or we felt powerless. And so I start with that because that's a fundamental undercurrent for the entire existential project, the entire life and consciousness. Um, and so Pluto here is in Virgo, which is a sign of being of service and making something better. But it's also the sign of being critical. P people with Pluto and Virgo, and this is births from like, you know, some births in late 1956, 
and then a number in 1957, and then starting in, in uh, 1958 full-time, uh, it's good to look up your chart to see if you're in that overlap time. Uh, and they go up into uh, 1971, 72. Um, and uh, in mid-72, in mid, um, sometime in 72, it retrograded back into late Virgo, but it had gone into uh, Libra earlier in the year, and then by the end of the year, it's back in Libra again. Anyway, um, so there's always an overlap time because outer planets move so slowly, and there's retro periods to account for. Um, so Pluto and Virgo, births from like, you know, 56, 57 up through 72, uh, people are needing to be of service. It's important. And in order to be of service, you make something better. In order to do that, you have to be aware of what isn't perfect. Virgo is a sign of analysis and discernment and critique. That can be wonderful, as in, let me help you prepare for that test, <laughs> dear friend or loved one, but it can also be noticing in yourself and others what isn't perfect and really getting hung up on it. Uh, so there's an element here uh, with this guy of um, he's expert at being critical. And if you listen to this podcast, there's several things in the chart that describe that tendency or that point to that tendency, and they happen to overlap and come out in his personality in a certain way. You can't tell from a chart how someone will express that chart, but there's just a bunch of things in here. If I were looking at his chart blind, I might figure he could be a very critical person. <laughs> and one of them is this, this Pluto and Virgo. Uh, you're able to see what isn't perfect. Now, Pluto's retrograde, so he's got to figure out what's worth critiquing, and he's got to make sure he doesn't get stuck in cycles of critique and criticism and bitching and moaning and just like berate berating things in people uh pluto's with uranus which is also retrograde and they're they're pretty tight within about uh 19 minutes of of arc or orb or whatever uh 1717 is the uranus and 1658 is the pluto and um Uranus is about individuation, revolution, and genius, and he's described several times by people who know him uh, in this podcast as a genius. Um, and uh, people with Pluto in Virgo need to be of service, but that service needs to be forward-looking. There could be a humanitarian angle, philanthropic kind of thing, being of service, but whatever works well to be of service for this person uh, for people with his signature, and then and, and say births from like 1962 to 68 have this, by the way. Um, the the years where Uranus is like five degrees on either side of Pluto. Um, and so it's a lot of people running around who have this revolutionary spirit who need to be of service, but it needs to serve a higher good that some people don't get. Uranus is always forward-looking, and Uranus is about... Um, pushing the envelope and creating a future and having goals and sometimes getting things in a deep way super quickly faster than other people get them. So some people with Uranus conjunct Pluto and Virgo are very tired of having to explain things to other people. They sometimes make fantastic teachers because they're able to reach high-level minds, but sometimes they're terrible teachers because they don't have patience. So it can be, um, you know, it can be a, a, a dynamic like that. And this, and this, and this guy, John Mclemore, certainly didn't have a lot of patience, uh, and and was, was a very critical figure. Now, what it means karmically that Pluto and Uranus together are retrograde is that the way he has done Virgo in a bunch of lives might not work. So what, you know, I talk about revolutionary. What revolution he's pursued might not have worked. So he's going to have karmic memories 
of what looks like failure, including in, because especially because it's in Virgo, there's that idea of analysis, discernment, critique. You, you do something and then you pick it apart later and realize what you did incorrectly. So there's that element in there that, that can sometimes hamper people with that signature, sometimes um, have them, so to speak, hogtie themselves uh, so that in those cycles of criticism, that can be very damaging. Now, uh, opposing Pluto and, and, and our Sun, Chiron, Saturn, and Pallas Athene. So let's just start this way. Oppositions to Pluto indicate that um, this mission to make something better is opposed by energies that fit these that fit these signatures. So Sun, Chiron, Saturn people are people who take up a lot of space, Sun energy, but they're wounded, Chiron. They they're authority figures, but they might not really have a leg to stand on regarding authority, and it can increase. One thing it can do. And it seems to have for this guy, it can increase the perception that other people are creating problems and they're getting in the way of actual progress. And if you listen to his descriptions of just about anybody else that he describes in this podcast, in the episodes where he's represented, this is what's going on. Um, now, on the personality level, his son is there. So he will be opposed by Plutonian energy. But when we talk about this karmic mission, he's opposed by sun people. There's a distinction to be made there. Um, Pallas Athene's about taking a stand for something. Saturn is about an, being an authority figure and sometimes interacting with and relating to authority figures often as we become our own authority figure. Uh, Chiron is about energetic sensitivity and, as I said, wounding, but wounding and healing, but feeling different and unique. And then the sun, of course, is a center of identity. And so in his you know, personality structure, there is this sense of being different and being unique and perhaps being left out, being worthy of rejection is a Chiron phrase, a Chiron key phrase. So this is just a basic element of the karmic setup for him that also plays its part in his personality. He is going to feel opposed day to day by Plutonian Uranian circumstances. And one of the things that he got really upset about uh, over the course of his life, it sounds like, uh, is uh, global warming and what people are doing uh, with the different methods of farming and uh, I'm assuming he, I don't remember hearing this, but but genetically modified stuff, he wouldn't have a freak out about that kind of stuff. And uh, just the pressures of population growth versus what resources the earth can offer, etc. He has this whole thing about that. And this is wrapped, wrapped up in, in this. Um, the Pluto is also square Jupiter and Gemini. And um, uh, Pluto square Jupiter people sometimes um, have a tremendous amount of optimism, and sometimes they have a, a tremendous amount of pessimism. Often I've noticed uh, people can have a hair trigger switch, and they might not constantly go back and forth between optimism and pessimism, but they might. Uh, but it might function instead as uh, if they believe something strongly, you can't shake them of it. And that could be you know, a happy, sunshiny, puppies, flowers, rainbows belief, or everything's going to hell belief. And and this guy certainly um, had the latter. Uh, probably in different parts of his life, he probably had more optimism. And later in the podcast, there was a discussion of how he, with the former, I guess, town clerk, uh, whom he had uh, been friends with for a number of years, she said he would come out and help out with mailings. 
you know, city, city council mailings or, or things that have to do with the town, and he would just help out. So there's kind of, you know, it sounds like he might have been optimistic at some point in his life. And people with Pluto Square Jupiter sometimes find in different lives that what they believe in isn't worth believing in, and they lose faith. They lose hope. So, so that's how we get in. That's how it can get into this kind of pessimistic vein. Um, the Jupiter is in Gemini, so it's about information and what he learns. And this, and Jupiter square Pluto, especially Jupiter in Gemini, uh, plus an aspect I'm going to talk about in a minute: the uh, south node ruler Mars conjunct retro Mercury in Aries in Juno. Um, this can set you up to learn a ton of things that can destroy your faith. <laughs> it can set up, you know, you become curious, you become, you expand Jupiter through curiosity, through openness, through research, through working with data. But it's square Pluto, you can see what's wrong, Pluto and Virgo. And Pluto, you know, Uranus and Virgo, you know, you can see what's wrong and you're critical about why it's wrong. And, you know, you either spend energy trying to fix something or you don't. As far as the fixing thing, it, it, it's revealed throughout the podcast that he's a master clock repairer, kind of like um, uh, lauded as an expert in that small world or in that that niche community. Uh, and so there is this attention to detail that he does. Apparently, we find out um, that he can uh, work with and make a difference and improve things and fix things. And there's that technical you know, um, technical uh, thing that has to do with Virgo energy that obviously was very highly developed in him. But the idea about, you know, learning things about the world, Jupiter and Gemini, being out there, learning things, obviously has been a, you know, a problem for him in having, in having faith in life. So that's the, um, that's the basic Pluto setup. I do um, squares, oppositions, and conjunctions with Pluto and sometimes, and quincunxes, you know, 150 degree aspect when they show up. And sometimes the semi-sextile 30 degree, which has a similar vibe as the 150 quincunx. Uh, sometimes I do do that aspect. Um, I do this because I want you to understand the pressures and tensions people experience in a bunch of lives. And so I don't talk about sextiles and trines because you would never, you would literally never come in for a session with me. You would never need help because Pluto's trying your moon or Pluto is uh, sextile something. Uh, you would never do that. Because it isn't something that you're, it's keeping you up at night. It isn't something that's bringing you challenging lessons. Conjunctions, squares, oppositions, quincunx, semi-sextiles do. They bring tension. They bring, you know, the opportunity for you to grow through deepening self-awareness. But you're not going to, you know, have a problem, you know, you're not going to have a terrible problem because, um, oh, I'm too curious. Mercury is sextile my Pluto. It's not. Anyway, so I focus on those aspects. So moving on to the second part of the story, it's a south node of the moon. And this talks about conditioning environments you're born to again and again. And um, it, it becomes a blind spot. Like you see the world this way. And so you don't even realize you expect the world to be this way. And because you keep expecting it, because as a divine being, you're broadcasting powerful intentions to the universe, you're vibrating. This is what the world is like it works with you and creates it to be that way. And so you keep believing the world is like this. It's a lens through which you see the world. South node for him is in Scorpio. And and this does, you know, people with Scorpio south nodes do experience things very intensely and feel um, all human emotions very intensely, perhaps can get stuck on the negative ones because um, they're plumbing the depths. 
they're wired to see the seedy underbelly in themselves and other people and the world. And this is another uh, facet here. Like I talked about Pluto squaring Jupiter losing faith, you know, um, Pluto opposing uh, Saturn, Chiron, and Sun, like having this thing about being critical of how other people aren't doing things well. Well, Scorpio South Node can have something to do with that as well. And um, one, of the, one of the great things is deep sensitivity, right? But also when you find still waters running deep, there's something going on down there. And people with South Node and Scorpio or strong Scorpio karmic placements sometimes don't talk about their feelings too much. Sometimes they're afraid to be vulnerable because they expect, because they've been conditioned over time, over many lifetimes, to expect that vulnerability can mean an invitation for others to step in and wound them. So sometimes, you know, Scorpio energy can be very guarded. Uh, and one of the reasons is you, you don't want to be hurt because you feel things so deeply. So you have this image of the Scorpio with the stinger, right? Well, the Scorpio would only sting you if it's hurt. So we have this sometimes a stereotypical image of people with strong Scorpio energy being um, resentful or bitter or vengeful or angry or raging or something, you know, hiding one of these feelings or even depressed and, and grief-stricken or something just very intense. Um, and uh, it's about feeling feeling very deeply. And just a little secret for you, a little tip and hint I, I often share, but, but if you haven't heard a lot of my MP3s, you, you won't have heard this. Uh, all anger and rage are inspired by, they come from pain. So anger and rage, in fact, cover over pain. They're defensive postures that result from pain and to try to keep us from experiencing, and again, or, re, or re-triggering it, but also experiencing more situations. So when you find a person with a strong Scorpio signature who's bitter, who's pessimistic, who does the bah humbug kind of thing, you know, um, everybody's happy and sunny and shiny and cheery, and this person's like, fuck everything. You know, when you find that, it's from pain. It grows from pain, and it's a defensive posture because they feel things so deeply, they don't know how to process it. They don't know how to move through it. So that's a south node in Scorpio for him. Conjunct Neptune. And Neptune on the south node can make someone very energetically sensitive. Uh, it can make someone... Uh, really sensitive to the undercurrents. This would be true of a South London Scorpio, but but also uh, a- amplified with a Neptune there. Sensitive to the energetic undercurrents in other people and in the world around you. And it is possible with Neptune and Scorpio to be attuned to, for example, conspiracy theories. Uh, Neptune says Neptune has to do, among other things, with our connection to the collective, and Scorpio is, you know, suspicious. So, so there's a thing in there that can also lead to losing faith and being pessimistic. And that Neptune, by the way, is quincunx, about 150 degrees, that Jupiter in Gemini. And so there is a setup there when people have that to not have faith. And I'll tell you, this is, um, ah, let's see, I don't have the chart. Wait, do I have the chart? Hold on one second. I'll just give me just a little, little pause. This other dude's chart in here. Yeah, 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 I do have it. He's born in the same time. Um, oh, no, it's uh, it's years earlier, but actually Neil deGrasse Tyson has this uh, has a similar aspect where he has um, south node ruler Mars quincunx Jupiter-Neptune, and he has a thing about faith. He has a thing about, 
you know, believing things that aren't scientific and things you can't see. Anyway, that's for another karmic profile. But I just remember that quincunx to Neptune and um, the Mars and Aries, Neptune and Scorpio and kind of like uh, he was born in 1958, though, that Tyson was. OK, so um, and it's like Jupiter and Neptune can't be in the same room together. That That's the idea in, in uh, Mac, Macklemore's chart. The idea with the quincunx is oil and water can't be in the same room together. And so if he has faith in something, he's going to learn something that destroys the, the sense of being able to feel connected through that faith. And if he knows something, he might have an experience that destroys his ability to rely on data, Jupiter and Gemini, because the painful truth takes you out of being rational. There's just kind of, just kind of a couple broad stroke brief ideas on um, the quincunx between Jupiter and Neptune. Now, um, there is a square to the nodes. And that's uh, the true black moon Lilith at 20 degrees Aquarius. Now, because uh, true black moon Aquarius, I, I, or true black moon Lilith, I, I didn't look up how fast it was moving that day, but it can move several degrees in a day. So it's probably, you know, based on his birth time, it might not be exactly 20. But, but um, you know, chances are he has a true black moon Lilith square of the nodes. And I count 10 degrees on squares of the nodes just for your reference if you're playing with birth times. The true black moon Lilith is about instinct. And now this, and it's about lower chakra visceral knowing what's right for you. And and I use this example often when people say, um, you got to meet my friend Bill. He's great, blah, 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 blah. I have so many wonderful things to say about Bill. And you meet him and your skin crawls and you like, you're nauseous and it doesn't make any sense. You can't explain why. It's a biochemical, hormonal, endocrinological, you know, energetic reaction to this person you have no reason not to like him just something bothers you that's lilith that's instinct that's from your root chakra uh and your second chakra so uh he's got that square of the nodes well it's in aquarius and so there's a thing about autonomy not being told what to do aquarius and lilith have that in common um and also this thing about his own personal genius a lot of that he's going to know things where in an instinctive way He's going to, you know, learn data, and then he's going to, and that, uh, of course, that Lilith is trying that Jupiter in Gemini. Uh, he's going to learn data, but then he's going to not always be able to turn around and teach it to others. He's not always going to be able to explain how he knows something or how to put things together and how to understand that. Uh, an autonomy within relationship and, and power over power under dynamics can come up with this square the nodes, especially square the Scorpio south node. Power over power under dynamics are central to the Scorpionic karmic journey. Uh, conjunct the north node, which says that uh, far away from him in a bunch of lives is Eros and Taurus. Now Taurus north node, I'll just say this, Taurus north node is about slowing down. And it is about sensuality, but it's about... Uh, feeling things. Like I say sensuality, we might think, um, you know, the caress of a lover. But we're really talking about um, physical embodiment, taking time to experience things physically with your five senses, really um, slowing down. And there's a nurturing quality to Taurus in that it ensures and promotes survival. People with Scorpio South Node can live through a bunch of drama. Taurus Rule, you know, Venus ruled North Node in Taurus is about slowing down. So Eros is here. So finding the right erotic connection, finding people connecting. And that was a huge part of the latter part of the story where the reporter, uh, the producer, was trying to understand uh, the gentleman's personal life. 
and did he have relationships? And he talks to a, a guy he was friends with for 12 years, and they talked about relationships. And um, So the Eros here is important. It's been far away. It might seem like that kind of connection isn't possible. And that Eros is square the Lilith in Taurus, because you know Eros is on the North Node. So the whole story in here about difference not even to mention the Venus, his natal Venus in Aquarius, which can have us feeling different, and then also the Sun Chiron together in Pisces feeling different, feeling uh, as an outsider. Uh, the other body conjunct the North Node is Nessus in Gemini, and this was actually what made me look up his chart in the first place, because he had this... Um, yeah, I guess I'm off the hook because of the spoiler alert. But but he had this uh, apparent tendency to carry people. Like he found, like he'll find a, a project, so to speak, in someone who needed help, a younger person who needed help. And um, like there was speculation later in the podcast about how, you know, this this probably this might be one of the reasons that triggered the suicide, though he had talked about it quite a lot and left a, a detailed letter about why he would do it eventually. Um, and, um, carrying people, ferrying people is one of the themes of Nessus. I'll carry you across this river, um, for a fee. Like you can't for this river. I'm a centaur. I can walk across Nessus as a centaur. And it's a longer story that I've been working on, but, but the basic idea is carrying people and ferrying people. Well, you have to let them go. It's a similar the idea to a Nessus or sorry, a, a series story where somebody you need to take under your wing for a while but then they need to fly off on their own. They need to grow up and take risks and be their, you know, an own, their own complete person. So Nessus on the North Node says he doesn't really either know how to carry people or let them go. He doesn't really know how to not expect payment for helping people. It's kind of a tricky thing. Um, we, we, we often help people because we want to, but we need something in return. And he did need connection. Um, you know, True Blackman Lilith square the nodes, the Eros on the North Node, or the Sun Chiron together in Pisces. He did need connection. Now, this moon, regardless of when he was born on that day, is in Capricorn. It's at 14, so it's either an early Cap. You know, if you were born around midnight, well, just after midnight, it's early Capricorn. If you were born, uh, you know, later in the day, it's later in Capricorn. But it's in Capricorn because in this noon chart, it's at 14, which squarely puts it there. Um, so he definitely needs connection, and during this time, Pluto is right on is in mid uh, Capricorn. It's actually on this Capricorn moon pr within a degree. Um, let me see if I have that math right. I'm just looking at it, but let me just look at the number here. 1439. That moon at, at noon is 1415. So if he were born much after 12 o'clock p.m., then the Pluto effect would just be beginning. The Pluto transit effect would not be in, may perhaps not be in full swing, depending on where, where Pluto stationed that year, because it's retrograde here. Um, but if he were born midday or earlier, Pluto had already been on that moon. And that, that really grinds away at us. And it really grinds away at the need for connection. And if you have somebody who's a Sun Chiron person who doesn't feel lovable or feels rejectable opposite that Pluto Uranus and Virgo with that high, you know, and then the Pluto, you know, square the Jupiter and the sun and Chiron square Jupiter, the, 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 te the 
tendency or, or propensity for losing faith and feeling bereft and feeling depressive, um, you know, you have this whole combination in there. Pluto's on, if it's transiting the moon, depending on birth time, you know, he's going to feel that heaviness and that depth of emptiness. That's one of the things Pluto moon does is it takes away what makes us feel secure. And this idea of carrying people, what we're talking about is, um, you know, a series of people he, I guess they described two, but it could be more. Uh, but he t they talked about two younger men with issues, just like getting in trouble or having issues with substances or something. Um, and the one, one of the guys figures, this is Tyler, figures prominently in the whole podcast. And he's a current day, uh, present day friend of, of, uh, of John McLemore. And he, um, I'm just getting the sense of how I'm processing my listening to this podcast by doing this for you and you're sitting here listening to it, whoever you are. Anyway, I'm just having this like, whatever. Okay. Um, so they had had a brief falling out really around that time that he killed himself. And, and somebody else speculated later, the, the first guy who went through this process with him, who was kind of carried by, by John earlier in life, and, um, and it seemed to John not to work out, but he said, you know, it seems like that was to him, I'm paraphrasing, that might have been like a partnership to him, and to have this person, you know, and what happened is Tyler left, and that now I'm feeling really self-conscious about being involved in all these details, but whatever. Um you know, John wanted him to come back. John left him text messages and voice messages to come back that night after they had spent the day together. And John was actually really drunk. And um, and Tyler didn't. And so somebody else was wondering if that was a trigger. Like, as if they were partners, even though they weren't romantically or sexually involved, John may have had that sense. Uh, John may have had that, um, you know, that, that, that feeling of being connected in that way and needing that partnership. So anyway, Pluto's grinding away on the moon if he's born, you know, not after, you know, 8 p.m. at night or something like that. I'm just guessing. If he's not born late at night on that day. Uh, Chiron return is also happening, so he's feeling more vulnerable, right? And uh, anyway, so there's just a couple of transits that are happening there. But... um. I guess what I'm talking about was the south node. Yeah, I need to transition to the third step of the story, which is a south node ruler. Then I'll talk more about some transits, because there, there's more, um, especially with Saturn having recently gone over uh, the south node for him. So um, south node ruler, I use traditional rulers for this. So Scorpio is ruled by Mars traditionally. And the idea is that while the south node talks about karma you have with your family system and community and the way you expect the world, uh, South Node Ruler says, this is who I show up to be in many lives. This is my you know, special skills and talents and roles. If I don't choose them, I'm nudged toward them because others can see the karmic vapor coming off of me. I'm good at this or I really love doing this. So South Node Ruler Mars is in Aries, conjunct Juno, uh, pretty tightly, but then exactly conjunct retro Mercury. So... Um, Southland ruler Mars in Aries, you know, forget that it's Mars for a minute. Just look at Southland ruler in Aries. That's the key thing to focus on. That's uh, how I teach this stuff with the Southland ruler. Um, it happens to be in, in Aries, you know, it rules Aries, but um, basically we're talking about Southland ruler 
in Southland and Scorpio coming from people where there are secrets or stuff under the surface that's intense. There may be abusive dynamics, but there's a lot of intensity and drama. And then the South Node ruler in Aries says, um, you know, fighting, defensive, you know, and with that retro Mercury in Juno can be a very critical energy. He's going to be a very curious person. He's going to learn in a unique way retro mercury conjuncted he's going to have a lot to say and he's going to have a mouth and you hear that in the podcast with the ranting and raving and the complaining and the bitching and moaning and insulting people and just you know calling people bad names and just everything uh and the juno there says i'm very committed (laughs) to whatever i'm thinking i'm very committed to whatever i'm thinking um and so he and a bunch of lives will find that he either has to fight or he may feel stepped on South node ruler and any south node with the south node ruler in Aries says I've had to fight or defend myself. And there can be anger issues with the south node in Scorpio and the ruler itself, you know, in Aries. There can be a lot of anger issues for multiple lives. Um, okay. So um, in this chart I've drawn up here for midday, Mars is square moon, but only if he's, you know, if he's born, say, before 10 a.m., 9 a.m., I'd say Mars, a square moon. Uh, Southland ruler, square moon can be that we don't get along with family or we don't get what we need or they're always trying to get us to be different. I don't have a sense of that uh, from his, you know, from his uh, story, at least that it was, as it was uh, depicted in that seven-episode podcast. And then the north node of the moon is what um, he couldn't be taught by his family and is probably left out. And there's that Eros-Nessus thing. Again, Eros and Taurus on the Taurus north node and Nessus and Gemini. Um, so connection and how to, um, you know, Nessus is also living in two worlds and, and managing the fact that we are animals, but we live in polite society. One of the big stories, uh, one of the big threads of, of the archetypal story in the mythology that I use about Nessus, um, the specific one where he sets himself up as a ferryman uh, by this particular river, and then Heracles and Heracles' wife Dianira, Dianira uh, come by. Uh, is that he makes an advance. It's said in some of the tellings that he rapes or attempts to rape Dianira, um, but it's, you know, it could be a lascivious look, it could be a grab, it could be like, a, you know, uh, he's carrying her, right? So he, she is in his face, right? It could also be like him, like, uh, you know, kissing her or somehow trying to physically you know, move on her or something like that. But anyway, and that ends up leading to his death because Heracles is like, um, forget it. It's not going to happen. Uh, and anyway, uh, but one of the things about Nessus is not sometimes being able to manage your animal impulses. And so this is another thread of this sexuality thing for him. You know, Lilith and Aquarius square the nodes, the Scorpio south node, conjunct Neptune. Um, you know, he's got that real sensitivity with... Um, Sun conjunct uh, Chiron in Pisces, but then he's also the South Node ruler in a fire sign. So he's got fire, but he's also got water. He's really sensitive. And so he might not know how to manage impulses. He might not connect with animal impulses. With Eros and Taurus and Nessus on the North Node, meaning far away from him in a bunch of lives, he may not really understand how to do that. That's one of the things that can happen with that signature. Um, people with planets, or in this case an asteroid and a centaur, conjunct the north node, 
don't know how to do the thing in a healthy way. They haven't been modeled that energy in a healthy way. So they either have crummy ideas and chase it, you know, chase that crummy idea and embody, you know, really push it, or they think they don't get to have it, or they don't know how to do it, or they vacillate between the two. It's really common for people with planets on the North Node or even asteroid centaurs to go back and forth between being hell-bent on having something and then losing confidence because they realize maybe they don't get to have it. Maybe they don't know how to do it. Maybe it's not for them. That's a North Node conjunction kind of thing. You will sometimes meet somebody who is hell-bent and who has built up a lot of steam and remains hell-bent. <laughs> you know, like... I've got plenty of wood to throw on this fire. You know, like, I don't expect me to peter out anytime soon. And they don't. And then other people who are timid and shy and believe that they don't get to have this part of their, you know, this part of life, even though it's part of the psyche, it's wired into who they are, but they might believe they don't get to. And therefore, they'll create or manifest blocks to having that. You'll meet people with Venus on the North Node who feel like they can't connect with other people. And they might draw people who are unavailable you know um you know these are kind of sexual energies eros and nessus on a taurus north node you know sensuality embodiment physicality um but but in general you know you might meet mars people on the north node who don't know how to say yes and no or who don't know how to you know find their passion or their desire in some way uh, anyway um so that is the, the quick and dirty, uh, I mean, for 40 minutes here, a karmic overview. I want to talk about some of these other transits. Now, Saturn, having passed at this time recently over, uh, and I made this chart for, for I, don't, I think I told you this, uh, June 21st, 2015, which is the night he killed himself, uh, uh, Father's Day. And um, Anyway, so I made this chart, and Saturn recently, over the previous months, had passed over the Neptune and then the South Node. And that can bring up heavy feelings. A heavy, it can exacerbate depression. It can make worse the sense of all the you know, weight of all the conspiracy theories and all the terrible things that, is, that are happening in the world. And it can make us lose even more faith. Uh, Saturn asks us to do something productive and proactive, but we can feel heaviness until we, you know choose to do something productive um i want to use that keep using that word to do something practical grounded in 3d realistic develop a plan look at the pain and address it that's kind of what saturn transits want especially over the south node especially in scorpio so any of the negative feelings would maybe exacerbated with that transit. Now, this has happened over the previous few months because at this point, Saturn is retroing and it's in the last degree of Scorpio. So it had been months that this had been happening. Uh, the Chiron return was in play and that, as I said earlier, that makes us more sensitive. And Saturn, or sorry, Chiron is wrapped up with his sun. Natally, they're two, you know, two and a half degrees uh, away from each other. So his sense of vitality and health and strength and purpose and exist, you know, being willing to exist, it, you know, this hypersensitivity to perhaps rejection. And this idea that, you know, he left these texts and voicemails, please come back, please come back to his friend, uh, Tyler. And the fact that, you know, Tyler just went to bed and didn't respond, you know, that, um, that, that feeling of rejection 
and he was already very drunk, by the way. John was already very drunk. That whole sense of feeling rejected, you know, is he's feeling it more than he would. Now, Chiron's son, Chiron conjunct son, Natalie, those people feel it big anyway. Feel the sensitivity and the sense of rejection, the need for connection, the need for a sense of safety and, and love from others. But when during the Chiron return, that inner infant who carries the pain of not being loved and supported comes up. And so, you know, around age 50, you are more vulnerable. You know, you're, you're feeling more vulnerable regardless of where your Chiron is in your natal chart. It doesn't have to be with your son. But for this guy, it was central to his identity. And that means that over the course of his life, he identified with being an outsider and being rejected, being rejectable. You know, perhaps being worthy or feeling worthy of being rejected and not loved. Uh, otherwise, um, we'll just look at the other transits here. Yeah, that Pluto moon thing is a huge thing. Uh, yeah. And also um, the south node, the transiting south node, which is only in a, covering something for, for at most a few months at a time. Uh, it takes about a little over a year and a half to go through every sign, and it, it retrogrades through the signs. It, it touches off something emotional. So that with Vesta actually was on his Juno Mars South Node ruler in retro Mercury. And the South Node can push an emotional button. And, you know, so we're talking about Pluto near the moon, Saturn near the South Node, and um, and this thing with the transiting South Node near near the South Node ruler Mars, which is going to be a cache of anger and perhaps if you can't express yourself, uh, you know, despair. So anyway, he he drank uh, potassium cyanide and killed himself. And so he had talked about it for years and he talked about using a gun and even one of the friends who was contacted later by the producer was um, surprised it wasn't a gun. He just assumed it was because uh, the guy had talked about it uh, at different times. So um, you can't see in a chart when somebody might kill himself. And uh, frankly, you shouldn't look. I mean, it's not something that I mean, you shouldn't look because you can't find it. We don't know what people will do. And people do have free will. And sometimes suicide is an existential, um, you know, assertion that I can stop this pain. I don't know how to stop feeling otherwise. And for him, it really was that. Regardless of whether you look at it as this kind of personal, you know, feeling of rejection or this grander scheme of, you know, he perceived he lived in a world that was going to hell. It was just going to shit and every level and every way. Uh, either way, it's not knowing what to do with pain. And so the real lesson here is to take ownership of what hurts and to learn practical tools and skills to work through it. And this is this is what I do in my life, and this is what I do in my practice. You know, when I meet people and they say, what do you do? I, I don't often say I'm an astrologer. I say, well, I'm a, an emotional and spiritual counselor. Or I teach people how to, um, you know, evolve and how to heal and how to deal with their emotions and energies. That's often what I say. And then I'll say, yeah, and astrology is one tool that I use to do that. My card does, my business card and my website say evolutionary astrology, you know, energy worker and channel. But really, this is about, you know, my work and my life is are about learning to manage emotions better. So this this is just a unique, um, uh, I mean, I guess if I listened to the podcast and the dude had not killed himself, I probably wouldn't have done this analysis. 
Um, but I but I want you to understand that this is another cue. This phenomenal success of this podcast is a cue that you know the the need to learn to deal with our insecurities, our vulnerabilities, the sense that we're not worth loving, the sense that we don't know how to do how to deal with pain, that we don't know what to do with the feelings we have, with the frustration with the anger we have, with the depression we may have. Uh, that's really the cue for me on why this popular, this podcast is so popular. I think the Adnan Syed thing, the first season of Serial, I think that was phenomenally successful. I mean, the format is great, and the actual execution of the interviews and, and the production and everything, it's great. But I think that the underlying energetic current, the pull in the collective to make this that at that time the most popular podcast etc and this one you know setting some record or breaking whatever uh the reason for the first one without Sayed is this idea of um but i didn't do anything wrong why am i being punished right with uh this guy who you know says he's not guilty of this murder he's now serving a life sentence for right so we get to explore that uh he has actually just for reference, he has uh, Nept- uh, Uranus and Scorpio uh, square the nodes. So he's trying to figure out why he's being punished. Okay. Anyway, so that captures the imagination. And uh, Bo, Bergdahl, Bo Bergdahl was season two of Serial. That's different, actually. Um, but there's something in the collective. You know, he has a huge Saturn story. Uh, Bo Bergdahl has a huge Saturn story, karmically. And, um, you know can we rely on each other? Can we rely on ourselves? Are we, can we follow through on a commitment we make, you know, or are we, cause anyway, it's a long story, but anyway, there are these certain undercurrents and poles in the collective where these stories get elevated, you know, these stories get elevated to the status of this like mythic, you know, this mythic thing. And for this guy, uh, for this serial shit town or this, uh, podcast shit down with about John McElmore, um, I think it's a lot about how we deal with pain and, are we willing to, you know, are you willing as an individual to own the pain you have and not stuff it, not do something addictive, not like this guy was basically cutting. He was having his friend Tyler, who's a body modifier, body piercer and a tattoo artist. He was having him do stuff just to create pain. And essentially, they, you know, they said it's like essentially he was cutting about having somebody else do it, paying someone else to do it. Uh, you know, not escaping that or trying to physically manifest the pain we feel emotionally, which is what cutting's about. You know, having a re- having a physical reason, having proof for the self, perhaps sometimes for others, that you know this pain is real. Here, look. You know, uh, you know, um, but but have learning how to deal with intense emotions and despair. And I will tell you, being somebody who has had depressive uh, periods who actually, whose whole life is kind of a depressive period where I'm trying to manage my optimism, pessimism, knee-jerk reaction. I happen also to have Jupiter square Pluto like this guy. And, um, and um, okay, this is not about me. But anyway, learning how to deal with that, and, and, and a lot of my life, I have felt suicidal. But it's not something I'm going to do. Um, because I've been taught that you have to, if to create a meaningful life, you have to create something. And I will tell you that you, 
also can heal everything. But some of these things, especially chironic pain, you have to hold space for and really be willing to feel. So at the Chiron return, people are more vulnerable to feeling, including those rejection issues from earlier in life. The sense of, I don't belong here, something's wrong with me, people don't love me. Um, and of course, this guy's response was to be angry as a, as a response to that, like to hide vulnerability or to try to protect that. But um, all Chiron issues involve uh, or call us to love us in way, ourselves in ways that others haven't. And this is a major part of the healing, to essentially let others off the hook for validating us. And people with strong Chiron energies, but also anybody with a Chiron in, in your chart, will have experiences in life where you feel rejected or you don't fit in. Well, do you, are you going to take back responsibility from other people that they should validate you? This is a Chiron question. So as I kind of think about this and do this whole analysis, I really think that this idea of what to do with pain and anger, what to do with our emotions, is really uh, the, 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 the undercurrent and the subtext that's calling this out. Like we might, you know, sensationalism of somebody drinking cyanide, the sen you know, the sensationalism of how the guy talked, the sensationalism, I mean, the podcast starts with him saying this murder has been covered up. It turns out it's not really what happened, but like, um, but there's all this stuff about sensationalism, we get drawn into it, and of course they expertly package the story, yet it really comes down to this, this vulnerability, and by the end of the podcast, if you've heard it, you know that you have a sense of this, you know, sensitive human person who felt on the defensive for various reasons. Who in certain ways, you know, really brought out his genius, but in other ways really uh, went down some roads in dealing with emotion, including the, 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 the developing pain through the, like, piercings and tattooing, um, in order to try to figure out what to do with that pain. So, so, okay, so Evolutionary Astrology Basics starts April 22nd, Saturdays, uh, six Saturdays. Um, yeah, if you've read the Soul's Journey 1 or the Soul's Journey Trilogy of books, you, um, you have a sense of this material, but I'm going to break it down and make sure that everybody in the class truly gets all these fundamental basics. And, and I am planning another section to get into putting together stories and using all four steps and charts and stuff like that. But this basics class will be the requirement for those, uh, for those other classes. All right. Well, thank you uh, for your time and attention. And I hope that uh, this is somehow helpful to you. And um, keep in touch with me through tdjacobs.com. Bye-bye.